here's your host. This is Bernadine Otto, Certified Transformational Nutrition Coach, EFT Practitioner and the Managing Editor of the Live, Love and Eat magazine. The Live, Love and Eat podcast is all about health and wellness. We interview health experts who have all overcome their own personal life and health challenges. Learn all about health, fitness, nutrition, spirituality, wellness and so much more. This podcast will change the way you live, laugh and eat. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live, Love and Eat show. Now our special guest today is Azure Moina. Now she's a writer and a coach. She holds a master's degree in regulatory affairs, a bachelor's degree in animal psychology and neuroscience, and she's also a certified coach in eating psychology. She has overcome child abuse and that resulting in eating disorder, and she is passionate about coaching and writing about issues relating to food, body, mental illness, familial dysfunction, and suicidal treatment of overweight people and the healing journey. Welcome, Azur. Tell our listeners about yourself and about your story. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so um, as uh, Bernadine said, my name is Azure, and um, I'm a uh, I'm a coach and writer um, specializing in eating psychology. And um, so my personal journey uh, started with uh, just a personal struggle, lifelong struggle with food and body. And, uh, and originally I didn't realize the extent of it. Uh, I knew that my, I always was kind of a huskier kid growing up. Um, I knew that I had these behaviors that I later realized were more disordered, you know, sneaking food, um, using food to self-soothe and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, but really I thought that the problem was a character defect in myself and that the solution was more dieting (laughs) and the, uh, the pendulum swinging between you know, kind of binging behavior and then compulsive dieting, extreme dieting, compulsive exercise type of behavior. It just started swinging wider and wider and wider. And there came a point um, in my late 20s where um, it, it really caused me to start looking at this as a disorder and uh, caused me to start seeking treatment myself. And that work led me to become uh, a certified coach in eating psychology and writing this memoir to help other women who may identify with it and to help people who don't personally identify with it um, have context and develop more compassion for people who may have these types of issues. That is wonderful. Um, Your story is... um is uh it's very um it's amazing and it's sad as well if i can say that um you wrote a book um and the book's called fullness 
um, can you, t- I didn't read the book yet. I'm planning to read the book, but can you tell our listeners um, what this book is all about? And, you know, um, just overall, you know, what is this book about? Sure. So this book is my very personal journey. <laughs> so um, it's a very deeply personal book and it starts with um something that happened in my late twenties. And when, um, when I was 28, I had finished my master's, had gotten a new management job, uh, bought a new house and, um, had recently gotten married. And so, uh, so many things in my life I thought were finally coming together the way that I thought. And I thought I had overcome my past. And uh, when in fact, you know, there was still so much to contend with and so much was sort of secretly out of control. And so there was a particular evening where I, uh, where I had a binge and I woke up in the middle of the night choking on my own vomit. And, uh, and so that was really, you know, in addiction terms was my rock bottom moment and made me realize that even though I had always known that my relationship with food and body seemed to be different from my friends, that there was something more to this, you know, this was something very serious. um, And that, you know, I could, um, it felt like a very life and death thing in that moment. And so that really was the impetus for me to start my whole healing journey. And so this book, really kind of starts at that point and chronicles my healing journey and in flashback has a parallel time timeline of my childhood and there's links between childhood experiences and my adult relationship with food and body and um so it it's sort of these parallel paths between adult Azure and childhood Azure. And um, it's a very raw and real, uh, brutally honest, um, but insightful type of book. And, uh, and it's been well received so far. So I'm very excited to share this with as many women as possible, because I think there's so much healing power in this work. Yeah, I can't wait to read the book. you know, what stood out for me, um, you telling, you know, sometimes people, you know, with this disorder or when they're eating, binge eating, um, I'm a recovered emotional eater. Um, you know, you, um, you, you try to fill that hole, that empty hole with food um, and food's like your friend and it just makes you feel better. Um, can you tell us, what, you know, compulsive overeating disorder, um, what signs can people look out for? Um, you know, I mean, if somebody's listening now and they say, yeah, but I'm just, you know, emotional eating or I'm just binge eating or what signs, you know, can people look out for to know that they are suffering from, from this disorder, you know, and, and how, how can I overcome it? Sure. So there's um, clinical diagnostic criteria um, that's available online to that you can then discuss with um, 
a medical professional or a mental health professional or, um, or a coach if you'd like to go that route. And uh, some of the criteria includes things like uh, eating past the point of satiation, uh, food being more of a friend, like you said, that's definitely one of um, the types of uh, criteria. Uh, yeah, you, in general, using food for things other than physical hunger, um, sometimes having odd rituals with food, um, having food, feeling like you can only really eat in a free way in secret, and, um, and also like retrieving food from the trash or anything else that would be, um, you know, sort of outside of like societal norms. And, and how can, you know, how can, how can people overcome that? Um, you know, uh, what, what's the first step to do if, if they are looking for help or even people that don't want to go for help and, and they just feel it's, you know, I don't have it. I'm not, I'm okay. Um, but deep sure. down they know they, you know, they're not okay. They are hurting. How can they, what's the first step they can take, you know, to, um, to get help? Sure. I think for me, um, you know, and I think for a lot of women who, uh, who, who identify with this type of struggle, they think that they're the only one in the world, you know, cause, um, and the fact that some of these behaviors are secret, um, it just contributes to that even more. And then also societal judgment contributes to that even more. And so it ends up being a very, very isolating condition. And uh, so what helped me a lot was knowing that there is a name for this. So compulsive overeating disorder, also known as binge eating disorder, um, knowing that there is a name and that actually like millions of people uh, struggle with this. So it's like you're far from alone and that there are people practitioners who specialize in this um, and that, and really to sort of just start to dismantle the shame that's associated with it. Because I think that that shame, I actually think that the, personally, I think that the numbers that are reported um, are an underrepresentation because there's still so many people that struggle with this in silence um, and they're kind of caught in uh, the shame that's both self-imposed and societally imposed. And so it prevents them from getting the help that they really um, you know, could benefit from. And all of that being said, so um, with regard to formal eating disorders, you know, there's 30 million Americans that suffer from a formal eating disorder. And there's actually many more people who struggle from with some kind of disordered eating that doesn't meet the full-fledged criteria for, you know, like a, a full-fledged eating disorder, but uh, but at one point or another, um, you know, engage in behavior with food that is beyond physical hunger. And I think that this is to an extent socially normal, right? You know, there's the quintessential um, eating ice cream after a breakup or something like that. And so, uh, but there's a fine line between, um, you know, when it's, just, you know, sort of when it is temporary versus when it's more taking over parts of your life and affecting your health, your mental health, your relationships with other people, your relationships with yourself um, and that type of thing. 
Yeah, I, I love that. And and I want to go back, you know, um, especially, you know, uh, when you, you know, anybody like you've eaten like a whole bag of chips um, after you've eaten that, you just feel so ashamed in yourself. Um, and then you are so hard on yourself. And then, you know, you, you say, I will do tomorrow, I'll do better. And then tomorrow comes and something else happens and you eat a whole cake or uh, two pieces of cake. It's just that, you know, that guilt that you are constantly um, carrying inside of you and you're constantly feeling it will get better, you know, um, mm -hmm. but it does not get better. It's like a, a wheel that goes and goes and goes and goes. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, just that guilty, that shame, that shame of, you know, why did I do that again? You know, um, also I want to go back to, um, you know, um, I, you know, like for people that, um, they are like, um, hiding food, like, you know, they're hiding food from their loved ones, you know, so that they can't see or see what I eat. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, you know, um, is that also, uh, you know, to do that also uh, classify as binge eating and this disorder or is it um, something else? If that makes sense. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it's basically, um, you know, it's, it's one of the items that can be used for a clinical diagnosis, but that in itself doesn't necessarily. So it's sort of like you need to hit um, several of like a list of, of uh, potential symptoms um, or classically known symptoms. So, uh, so that is that being one of them. The way this showed up for me is, um, well, on the particular night that's described in the first chapter of my book, um, I, we had a housewarming party and I made this dish jalapeno corn casserole and it sort of felt like this forbidden splurge kind of food. And, um, and I was trying not to eat it all day. And, um, you know, because I was feeling guilty about my weight and that type of thing and how I looked and, uh, and then after all my guests left, I ended up eating a lot and then going to bed. And then in bed, I was bothered by it. It was in the fridge still. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's in there. You know, I, I need it, you know, and, um, and that whole kind of struggle of like, okay, do I just throw it in the garbage? Can I just wait until tomorrow? Like a quote, normal person. Uh, and then, you know, ended up eating like basically the rest of this casserole and, um, you know, and then had this, um, this vomiting later. So it's, you know, I remember distinctly that my, you know, when I was out on the couch watching TV, eating this casserole, my husband came out to see if I was going to come to bed and I hid it beside me, you know, um, next to kind of between my leg and the couch. So he couldn't see, even my husband, you know, and so, um, but I always did kinds of things like this, you know, if I went to fast food on the way home, I would hide the, the bags and the containers and, uh, you know, it felt certain foods were 
were not allowed for me. And so it contributed to the hiding of them. And so that's where diet culture exacerbates this type of problem because, you know, we're taught that certain foods are quote bad and not allowed. And then, you know, it contributes more and more to this type of secretive behavior, even with people that you're a very intimately close with. Um, and, and, and the strange thing about this is that until this happened for me, I didn't really even consciously think of it as being really different or something. It kind of took this, this event to really um, make me think, wow, um, you know, this maybe is really beyond the normal, um, you know, the quote, nor quote, normal, quote, healthy, <laughs> um, you know, paradigm. That's interesting, um, you know, and, and you probably talked about this, but I, I want to go back again. Um, sure. So you were in this, you know, in this scene of overeating, if I can say that. Um, what was the next step that you took and, and you told yourself, this is it, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore. What was that, that, that thing that um, drove you to say, I had enough, I'm, I'm going to seek help now, I'm going to you know, get better? What was that one thing? Yeah, so um, I actually write about this uh, in the book, of course, and uh, what I reflected on is um, that I had for a long time sort of thought that being overweight would result in my demise eventually. And I assumed I would, um, you know, develop heart disease or diabetes or something like this. But the fact that I could have passed away that night from choking on my vomit, it honestly did not occurred to me that it could take my life in such an immediate way. And one of the most common um, misconceptions about eating disorders actually is that they are relatively benign compared to other forms of mental illness. And um, they actually have the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses. And, uh, and so I think the immediacy of that, and, uh, and I talk about in my book how it felt that like death was no longer a far off and theoretical idea that it was right there in the room taunting me. Like, are you really going to change this time or are you going to come with me kind of thing? And uh, so just really the, the near death experience just really sort of shook me awake, if you will. What's the times where you, where you told yourself, um, I'm going to help, I'm going to get help. And then you decided, no, I'm not getting help and fall back again. Was there times that you wanted to get out of this um, and then you didn't? Well, certainly um, there were many times like, and in fact, I also write about that, that it's uh, every birthday, New Year's Eve, seeing people out that you haven't seen in a long time and, you know, being embarrassed about how one looks and, you know, all that stuff, uh, how all of those things that would happen every single year throughout the year, it would be like, okay, this is really my chance to change. But the problem is, um, I think the help that I sought out at the time 
was actually part of the poison, you know, because when, when someone mis, uh, mistakes a disordered eating with being over, just being overweight and eating another diet, they're actually seeking the poison that is contributing to their problem. You know, it's, uh, they're related, of course, like weight can be related to disordered eating, but the cure to disordered eating is not a diet. And in fact, the non-diet approach is, is, you know, is what's recommended, widely recommended. And so, um, so yeah, so I think I sought it out, but I didn't realize at the time that I was seeking out the poison. And also I had no idea that there were, um, you know, even that there was a name for this. Um, I thought I was the only person in the world that had this problem and uh, let alone that there are specialists in this. And so once I really found access to that information, oh, that helped tremendously. Um, but it is a road, you know, cause especially being uh, women, you know, were so conditioned with diet culture and that type of thing that just knowing it, it's not like you snap your fingers and you're suddenly um, never uh, tempted to go back that way again. It's a gradual untethering, if you will, from that mentality. So it takes time and practice. Yeah, I always um, tell my clients that, you know, it's a journey. It's a journey that you walk with yourself um, because we all know diets don't work, you know, you can give somebody a diet and you lose 10 pounds in two days, that doesn't work, you know, um, you have to work what's inside of you as well, you know, it's not just about, um, you know, going exercise for two hours in the gym and eat the right foods and then you will be fine, you know, so um, I agree with you, you know, diets are just not working and um you know you have to i you also said you know emotionally um physically work on yourself you know um and get that help out there now um i wish we can talk more and and go more into this um to all the listeners if you want to get um Asher's book, Fullness, I will put the link underneath. Um, I'm sure going to read the book and, um, you know, go and get the book and read the book. Um, and I think just, you know, by reading the first chapter, um, it sounds like a very good book, you know, for all people out there. Now, what three tips will you give someone who is struggling with compulsive overeating disorder? What is the free tips you will give them? Sure. Um, I would say that it's a lot more common than it feels. Um, the, you know, I had no idea that 30 million Americans suffer with some kind of eating disorder and 70 million globally. And that many more than that suffer with some kind of disordered eating behavior at some point in their lives that doesn't meet the full fledged criteria. Um, so I think knowing that it's a lot more common than it feels helps a lot. Um, and also to know that in our culture, um, you know, uh, eating disorders like anorexia have been more popularized, but 
eating disorders with a binge element are actually um, two and a half times more prevalent. And, uh, and this isn't, you know, comparative, one is not, you know, sort of worse than the other. And, you know, it's not a competition. But, uh, you know, I had never thought of eating disorders as being something that related to binge type behavior. So I think just normalizing it a bit, um, you know, is the first tip. Uh, the second tip is that there's a lot of help out there. Um, so there's, of course, traditional therapy, um, which can be supplemented with medication as prescribed. Um, but there's also, if that doesn't resonate um, as much for you, uh, there are other options as well. There are, uh, there's coaching, uh, retreats, um, other healing modalities that are more uh, that are like non-Western approach uh, that can be very therapeutically beneficial to people. Uh, the third is that you can get to a place where food is just food and, and it's still glorious food. You know, I think in my struggle, I didn't want food to become macros, you know, the way that maybe like a bodybuilder might think of it, where it's like, it's just a composition of fat carbs and, <laughs> and calories. Um, I wanted to still be able to enjoy brie and mousse au chocolat and like all the wonderful foods that are out there and have it still be glorious food, but, you know, have it also at the same time, just be food and not be a substitute for, um, nurturing and caring that, you know, I was seeking out um, myself personally, and that other people might do as well. So those would be my three tips. I love that. And I actually love the last one as well, especially when you said, you know, uh, to see food as freedom, not see food as an enemy, you know, and really enjoying yeah. food. Um, it was a pleasure having you today. Um, on the show and um yeah we um we will look forward to reading your book i think we all look forward to reading your book and thank you for being here thank you so much for having me and i and, wish all of your guests the very best and thank you for um doing such amazing work out there um you are doing amazing work thank you i really do hope that my sharing something that's so deeply personal and, um, and formally sort of shame filled can really help destigmatize this and help many people be able to talk about this more openly, the way that we have been able to with alcoholism or drug, drug abuse and that type of thing that we're, you know, we can destigmatize this type of issue and also just see people with more compassion, especially when people see pe uh, see someone with a larger body frame or a non-conventional body in general, that we can just have more compassion and know that, that there's always a backstory and there's always context. And, uh, and so I just am hoping this can bring so much healing to, you know, to everyone. So thank you so much for helping me share this message. Thank you for being here. This is Bernadine Otto of the Love, Love and Eat show. If you loved this episode, please be sure to go subscribe to our podcast to see even more topics on health, wellness and well-being.